Arkansas Razorbacks because I can be sure of one thing. They're going to let me down. And, and I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know why. I don't know what sport specifically. But I know at some point during the calendar year, the Razorbacks are going to let me down because I like a sure thing. And so I don't like to be guessing. You know, I, I like to know. Um, I, I want to know what to do. I want to know when to do it. And most importantly, I like to know how to do things. You know what I'm saying? I, I like to, what are the expectations? That's what I want to know. What are the, what do you expect me to do for you? How am I going to, you know, check all of the boxes that I am expected to check? And I believe that if I have that information, the what, the how, the when, the why, all of that, I believe that if I have all of that information, then I can do well. I can be a success according to my definition of whatever it. Uh, it means to be a success. I, it's just kind of the way I work because, again, I like a sure thing. I like to know. I, I like to know the expectations. I do not like variables. You may like variables. I don't. I don't like variables, um, and I especially don't like variables that increase the potential for failure. You know, I, those variables I, I push back on. I don't want those. That's the way that I got through school. I'll never forget when I walked into my first college class, I sat down, they gave me a syllabus. And on the syllabus, it said, here's what you need to know. Here's when you need to know it. Here's when the test is going to be. Here's when the paper's going to be due. Here's the book that you need to read. And I was like, okay, I got this because I know what I'm supposed to do. I knew what was required. Um, I jumped through the hoops that I knew I was expected to jump through, also that I could get the grades that I needed to get so that then I could check these boxes and I could get through school. It's the way that I've gotten through the jobs that I've gotten through, the ones that I've gotten through in a good way, you know, and all that. That's a whole other story. But the jobs that I, you know, that I know what I'm supposed to do, I know the expectations, I, I'm good at those jobs. I can do that. I can, I can check the boxes because I know if I check the proper boxes, then I'm going to get a job well done. It's a success because I like a sure thing. And so do you think, I hope, I mean, I see some of you nodding your head. Hopefully you're not already going to sleep on me. If you are, just give me like 20 minutes and I promise I'm going to be quick this morning. Um, you like a sure thing as well. Everybody likes a sure thing, right? Let me see if I can ask it a different way. Maybe this will frame the question or frame the point a little bit better. Do you love it when you fear, uh, feel failure rushing towards you? Of course you don't. Nobody likes that. Um, do you love it when you feel fear beginning to overcome you? No, obviously, you don't. Do you enjoy it when pain and suffering and things that are inevitable, they are going to happen? Do you like that? And of course you don't. No one likes that. And no one likes the uncertainty of how things are going to turn out. No one likes when that, you know, how is this going to turn out? They're all rhetorical questions, and I understand that. All rhetorical questions, because of course, no one likes that. We, we like to know, because those feelings can leave us uh, feeling kind of dark. They, they can leave us feeling a little bit scary, because, and here's why, at the end of the day, we don't deal well with the unknown. We just don't. We don't deal well with the unknown. And often, here's why. This is what makes the unknown so scary. Often what makes the unknown so scary, so scary is because we feel like we're wandering around in the dark. You know, you feel like you're wandering around in the dark and you can't see what's coming next. You just don't know and you need to know. I say this all the time. I said it this morning. I can work with yes. I can work with no. I don't work well with uncertainty. I don't work well with I don't know. I don't work well without some direction because we all, we have a hard time working with uncertainty, right? Um, 
And I, I hope that you'll at least agree with me that this series that we've been in for the month of July has at least been interesting, I think, as we've been kind of walking through John's biography, his, his story, his account of his experience with Jesus, uh, a carpenter from Nazareth that made some really crazy claims about himself. I hope it's been at least interesting to you. Um, and what we've really been focusing on in this series for the last three weeks, and we're going to continue to focus on this morning and next week, is um, all of the different times where Jesus and also John kind of speak to us using this comparison of light and darkness, light and darkness, this comparison and what the light is and what the darkness is and what happens when we're in the light, what happens when we're in the darkness, because, and, and, and here's one of the reasons that we like the comparison so much is because I like illumination as you're sitting there in the dark. I, 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 like, I like to be able to see where I'm going. We all like it bright. No one knows. We, we know what's coming. We don't wonder what tomorrow holds because darkness can be spooky. You know, darkness can be a little bit unnerving. And it's interesting, it's interesting how, to me anyway, how these teachings, these things that we've been talking about, they've kind of been building a little bit on top of one another. And what we're going to talk about this week, we're actually going to talk about two events that John tells us about from the life of Jesus, two um, really, really well-known events, very, very well-known, very, very famous. Today, we're going to actually talk about two of the times that Jesus healed. Specifically, one time Jesus did a healing and another time that Jesus actually raised someone from the dead. We're going to talk about these two events. Very well known. You've heard them. You've read them. People have taught it. This is not going to be new information. However, however, even if you've been in church your whole life, here's one thing that I think we would agree with. Two things taught from a thousand different perspectives. Here's one thing that I think we would agree with. When we hear about this healing, and we hear about raising Lazarus, by the way, that's who he raised from the dead, Lazarus from the dead, we always focus on what it is that Jesus did. And of course we do, because he healed a blind man. It's a big deal. He raised Lazarus from the dead. That's a big deal. Only God can do that, and, and all of the implications that come with that. So we, we always focus on what Jesus actually did. We focus on the healing, but we don't pay attention as much to what it is that Jesus taught connected to the sign that he performed. We always focus on the sign, the miracle. We don't focus as much on what it is that Jesus actually said and what he was teaching through the miracle, what he was teaching his disciples, what he was teaching his followers. Because it was significant for them, his followers, then, but it's also significant for me and for you today because, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, no different than John, no different than Matthew, no different than Peter and Andrew. And, and I'm a follower too. I mean, I, I'm not there. I never actually have met Jesus, not yet anyway, but, but I'm still his follower. I'm still following as best I can, trying to become more like him. So with that all being said, miracle number one, uh, it's recorded by John. You say, why, why did John record it? Because he was there. He saw it. He's a witness to it. He's a witness to these events. John tells us that in, in, in the ninth chapter, the way that we have chaptered and versed, John's account in chapter 9, verse 1, we're told uh, that Jesus sees a, uh, is walking along, and he, he sees a man who had been born blind, blind from birth. So uh, this guy has always been blind. He was blind when he was a baby. He, he's blind up to this point. He did not go blind as a result of anything. This is someone that has been blind from birth. And then the disciples ask Jesus the question. They say, Rabbi, why was this man born blind? 
Was it because of his sins or was it because of the sins of his parents, his parents' sins? See, like all Jews, that time specifically, um, the disciples wrongly believed that bad things happened to people because of either their sin or the sin of a family member. That's just kind of what, that's what they believed. And so Jesus is going to actually kind of shed some light. He's going to clarify this a little bit for us. Um, because while, yes, it is the result of living in a fallen and broken world, sin has created all of these things that we have to experience every day that are less than perfect. While that is true, Jesus says, no, 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 that, that's not the case here. That's not the case here. In fact, Jesus tells them something good is going to happen as a result of something bad. Okay, so back to Jesus. This is how he responds to the question from the disciples. He says, it was not because of his parents' sin, or his, this happens parents' sin. That's not why. This happened, this event, this happened so that God could be seen, uh, so the power of God could be seen. That, that's what you're about to see here. Get ready. Just hang on. So here we have Jesus, the light, as he has described himself, the light, getting ready to really kind of brighten this whole thing up. And everyone having the opportunity to see more clearly after, after he heals the blind man. Ironically, after he heals the blind man. Um, but first, before he does it, before he performs this very famous, very well-known sign, this miracle, um, Jesus will actually teach them something first. He'll make, them, make some points. He'll say this. He's going to teach them something about himself. This is what Jesus says. He says, verse 4, he says, we must quickly... We don't typically think of Jesus doing anything in a hurry, you know. I work in a hurry. You probably work in a hurry. We don't think of Jesus like that. At least I don't. I think of Jesus more like just kind of doing his thing the way he, he's in a hurry right here. He says, we've got to quickly, urgently do this. We need to hurry before it's too late. We need to make this a priority. This is, this is, we, I am officially moving what we are about to do to the top of the to-do list. We must quickly carry out the tasks because there are responsibilities that are assigned. There are expectations to be completed. There are things that have to be done, so we must quickly carry out the task. What's the implication of that? I think the implication to that, for me at least, is this. I'm not just here for random living. You know, I, I don't think this is just the result of a whole lot of atoms and molecules bumping together, and just here we are. I don't think I'm here for random living. I don't think that I'm here to do what I want, when I want, how I want all the time, and just kind of chase after the things that I want. I don't think that's the way, I don't think that's the plan. I don't think that's my purpose in God's plan. I don't think, and I think that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, we've got something to do. There is an assignment. There is a task. We need to do it quick. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us. Think about that statement. You may have missed it. I, I have from time to time, but, but think about that statement. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us. Two, two letters, big word, us. This is not just Jesus speaking for Jesus. He's not just talking about himself here. Bigger for the ride. He's bring, actually bringing you and bringing me and those of you watching online, he's bringing you on for, along for the ride. He's bringing his followers 2,000 years ago along for the ride. Us, plural. 
Jesus, the light, the word, the son, the Messiah, God, actually inviting you, inviting me into his story, into his plan. We have a purpose. That's a big implication. Jesus saying us to his disciples, saying us to me. We need to quickly carry out the tasks that are assigned to us. And then Jesus goes on and he actually tells us who hands out the assignment. He says, by the one who sent us. Okay, that's a big statement. We don't have time to unpack it all. I'm just going to go and tell you, I mean, this just right here, we could probably spend an entire Sunday. We don't have time. Lot there. But Jesus saying to his followers, saying to me, saying to you, hey, these tasks, these assignments, that have been assigned to me, also assigned to you. Jesus saying, hey, I'm submitting to those assignments. I'm submitting to those things that I have been sent here to do. And for me, this is kind of a little bit of an aside to where we're going this morning, but I think it's, it's interesting because it's something that I have often wondered. I have often thought, you probably have too, maybe. Uh, when I get these glimpses of Jesus on earth in scripture submitting, that kind of confuses me a little bit, you know, because I have a tendency to try to apply human authority to God. Here's what I mean by that. The way that my mind works, it's the way I look at the world, you know, because this is the world I know, the world I've experienced since the day I was born. If Jesus is submitting to the Father, and if the Father is the one who is assigning the tasks and assigning the responsibilities, then that must mean, the way I look at it, that must mean that the Father is more important and somehow higher than Jesus, right? I mean, that is a very logical conclusion to come to. That's rational. You may have never said it, but maybe you thought it, maybe you have kind of lived that way. You know, there's Jesus, you know, God the Father, then there's God the Son, then there's God the Spirit, and that's kind of the hierarchy, that's the order, that's the way it works. But our human understanding of, of these concepts, man, our human understanding of submission, it breaks down spectacularly when we try to apply it to the divine. I mean, it just blows it up. Because it just doesn't apply to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. It just it doesn't apply. It can't. There's no way that that definition, that understanding of submission, separate, yes, remember, they are completely one. They're equal. They're separate, yet somehow they're one. Don't ask me to completely explain it. Remember what we talked about in week number one. John began his entire gospel with that very, very clear point. He started this whole story that he was getting ready to tell by saying, the word was with God, and the word was God. They were the same. They were equal, yet they were separate, meaning that the Father is completely God, and as God the Father is completely God, God the Son is completely God, and God the Spirit is completely God. And, and I'll be honest with you. I'll be completely upfront and honest with you. There is absolutely, positively no imagery that I can come up with that is going to adequately describe that. I can't do it. it hasn't stopped people from trying, you know? It hasn't stopped people from, from trying to use human imagery to explain this concept. But they've all failed. They all fall incredibly short, trying to use human understanding and imagery to, to better explain this truth is impossible. I mean, 
There's, I can think of a few examples. The example of the water, you know, water is, is steam and ice and, and a liquid. It doesn't work. That's not good enough. You know, the example of a man who is a husband and a father and a brother. And, 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 the egg, that's the one I was taught, you know, the egg, the shell and the yolk and the, and the, and the white. And that doesn't do it. It doesn't work to try to explain and understand. They're not adequate to understand this huge concept, which kind of stinks. It does to me. I like to know things. I like to know because we want to understand this mystery of how this can be. It just doesn't fit into anything that we understand. We want to put God into a correctly labeled God-sized box so that we can better understand him. I do it all the time. That's, I want to understand it better. Humanity has been trying to do that for millennia. But here's the problem. If you really think about it, if you chase it down, the problem with that down to a, it always requires humanity to shrink God down to a man-sized concept. You just can't do that. So, and I'm done with this little rabbit trail. So, can I just suggest something? Can I just make a suggestion? Just a suggestion on, on this really, this tension that I have dealt with now for 40 years. Well, not 40, but a long time. Let's just try to live with it. Have you Consider this. Consider trying to live in the mystery of this. Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit, somehow one and equal and submitting. And because submission in this account doesn't mean that one is more important or one is higher than the other. Maybe, maybe submission is simply a willing, chosen, and complete alignment between, I, I, I don't know. I truly don't know. The Father has made assignments. That's what Jesus said. And the Father sent Jesus, the Son. And maybe it's just Jesus being in complete alignment with the Father, the Son being, I don't know. But here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. Here's what I believe we can take from this unilaterally without question. He didn't send just Jesus. It's not just Jesus that is included in this statement. Because remember, what did Jesus say? He said, the Father has given us. Let's try that again. The Father has given us tasks. You, me, John, Matthew, we're all his followers. Don't overlook. Think about that. Really, really, for just a second, really think about that statement. Consider the implications that Jesus the light, the word, the son, the Messiah, God, said that you and me have assignments as his followers. We get to be a part of the story. We get to be a part of the process, a part of the plan. It's important because next, Jesus is going to go on. He's, and remember, we're talking about what Jesus teaches as a part of this miracle. Jesus goes on to tell us why he's in such a rush. Why the rush? Why the urgency? Why putting it to the top of the list? Why do we need to do this, as he said, quickly? He says, because the night is coming. Darkness, literally, is right around the corner. It's right around the corner. There are countless examples in the New Covenant. You could find dozens, honestly, where we read Jesus continually trying to prepare his disciples. We, we don't for what's coming. Continually telling them, hey, 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 come on, let's go. This, we, we don't have much time. 
We don't have much time. We got to go. We got to go. He's continually telling his disciples, hey, it's coming. And at this point in time, literally on the timeline, in, in the actual, you know, three-year, roughly three-year timeline, they are just months away, maybe weeks from the crucifixion. This is right around the corner. And once again, we have Jesus here telling his followers, telling his, his disciples, telling this group that has been following him around here in some cases for three years saying, hey, we got to work quick. We got to go. I'm not going to be here much longer. Night is coming. See, Jesus knew what they didn't. Jesus knew that when he died, darkness will loom. Now, this is both literal and figurative uh, when you think about it, right? Because, I mean, when Jesus was on the cross, if, if you know the account, you know that the skies literally got dark. They literally got dark in the middle of the day. But he's also preparing them, saying, hey, he knows that his death, he knows that these disciples that have been following him around here for three years that have seen signs and miracles and wonders and unbelievable things, Sermon on the Mount, turning water into wine, healing the blind man as they're just about to see, raising, I mean, all of the examples that we could give of the things that they have seen Jesus do that no human can do, Jesus still knows that when this happens, they're going to be overtaken and overwhelmed by darkness. He knows that. It's coming. And then, going back to what Jesus said to his followers, he says, and then when darkness comes, can't work. It's as if here, Jesus telling his crew, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but it's as if Jesus is saying, hey guys, listen, listen, come here, get in, get in here close. When I'm gone, when I'm gone, I won't be here in my body, in your presence lighting your way the way that I have been lighting your way now for three years. You remember that time that you said, let's rain down fire on them? That happened, by the way. His disciples were like, let's just burn it up. And Jesus was like, no, 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 no. We don't, we're not going to do that. And he taught them and he kind of realigned them. Jesus is like, hey, I'm not going to be here all the time to do that. I'm going to be gone. You're going to be left. This light that you have been living with now for three years, it will not be available to you the way that it has been available. And, and some of you right now, you're thinking, you're, you're kind of wanting to beat me theologically a little bit, and that's okay, I'm going to get there. Because I find something interesting right here in this account with the words of Jesus, because you're not missing sing here. And the only reason, though, that you notice something is missing is because you know how the story ends. You know what's going to happen. You have the power of, you know, the foreshadowing or you understand, you know the entire story. You know what's going to happen when Jesus leaves. They don't. And yet, this is so interesting to me. Jesus doesn't try in this moment to give his followers, his crew, his disciples, the hope of the spirit that is going to come and actually indwell them and allow them to be the light. He doesn't give them that hope. Now, I know it's coming. You know it's coming. They don't know. All Jesus is saying to his followers is, I'm going to leave, and it's going to be dark, and you can't work. It's, it's like this, there's this progressive revelation that his followers receive. Now, he's going to encourage them with that information that is coming, and I know that, but they don't. 
In fact, we're going to talk about that pretty soon. But Jesus, he's going to inform them of the Spirit coming to indwell the believer. Yes, it's coming, but he doesn't do it right now. That's a little tension there for me. I don't know why. For now, it just seems as though the point of this conversation, of this teaching, of this interaction with his disciples is to say to his followers, while I am here in the world, in the world, the only thing you need to worry about right now is this, while I am in the world. Really, that phrase is more accurate to be stated like wherever I am. Wherever I am, wherever I am, I'm the light. See, Jesus never stopped being light. He, he, he wasn't not the light in this moment. He never stopped being the light on the cross. He, ne- he never stopped being the light, and he still hasn't to this day. That's a, that's a big statement. It's going to carry us forward to the remainder of this morning and really the remainder of this series. And really, it should take us forward to the remainder of your journey as a follower of Jesus. He's never stopped being the light. That hasn't changed. And then, and this is kind of obvious to me. I mean, it's kind of almost like, eh, you just move past it. At least I do. He's saying to them, hey, while I'm here in the world, wherever I am, while my light is shining most brightly for you right now in this world, like literally, think about it. When Jesus was here on on this earth, when he was walking and talking and healing and and, and teaching and doing all of those things, when Jesus, God, was on the earth in the flesh, that is as as bright as the light has ever been. What Jesus is telling them here, he's saying, hey, I'm here While I am here, I am the light of the world, and it's not going to get any brighter, at least not up to this point. So think think about the implication of it. From John, we have this incredible account of Jesus actually teaching his followers, of which I am one, teaching all believers, saying, hey, you need to serve God with a sense of urgency, and you need to make it the highest priority. The highest priority. Higher than everything else. It's it's at the top of the list. There was a 17th century, that's the 1600s, a 17th century English preacher. His name was Richard Baxter. This is a quote that we've pulled from Richard Baxter. We've kind of cleaned it up for 21st century uh, vocabulary wording. Um, He understood this concept right here. He understood it. This is what he said, this, this idea of working with a sense of urgency, top of the priority list, most important thing, nothing, this, then everything else. This is, bas- this is what he said, basically. He said, I preached, I preached as if I might never preach again. I preached, he said, as a dying man to dying men. Urgency. Gotta go. Serve God with a sense of urgency and make it the highest priority because he has specific things assigned to us. Us. That's, wow. Serve God with the highest priority because he has specific things assigned to us. And without him, without him, there's going to be overwhelming darkness. Just the way it is. Without him, there's overwhelming darkness. But wherever Jesus is, He's still the light of the world. That hasn't changed. Think about it. Jesus actually giving his followers just weeks before his crucifixion. And that includes me. I'm his follower as well. Giving us a sense of urgency. A sense of, hey, let's work a little quicker. We got to go. Not long after Jesus heals the blind man, 
So he, he does that. His followers see that. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Darkness. Once again. And it's just before he performs probably his most famous sign outside of his own resurrection. It's right before he performs the most well-known thing that probably he ever did. And according to John, who again was there, John tells us that word is sent to Jesus that his friend named Lazarus is sick. Very sick. Extremely, extremely sick. Deathly sick. Now, Jesus um, and Lazarus... <laughs> Very good friends, uh, very, very, very close. The, this family is very close. When Jesus goes to that part of Israel, that's where he goes. He goes to their house. That's where he stays. I mean, they're close. And given the timeline that we actually have listed in the passage, it's likely that when the messenger leaves Bethany to find Jesus, to tell Jesus that Lazarus is very, very sick, probably before the messenger even gets to Jesus, Lazarus is dead. He has died. He's gone. And then back to the account, from John, this is now in chapter 11, we're told that when Jesus heard about this, he said this. He said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, he said, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Okay, man, that's, that's a big, that's, that's tough. Now, in just a moment, we're going to find out that Lazarus has died. He's gone. But here with this quote from Jesus, Jesus is saying, hey, God, and, and so we're going to get glory out of this. This, this is going to turn out differently. And with all of this, what Jesus is referring to, with all of this, God is going to receive glory. All of this involves a ton of pain. It involves a ton of suffering. Not only for Jesus, but for those that Jesus loves. I mean, we're talking very, very good friends of his, Lazarus, Martha, Mary. And, and it goes beyond that, pain, suffering. They were not kept from that. And, and look, this next part is a lot. And I will readily admit and I will readily accept that this next part is a lot. It is. It's a lot. And, and, it's, and, if, and if I lose some of you with this, it's okay. I, no judgment here, I promise you. No judgment here. But here it is. God's glory. And God the Son's glory does not consist in sparing me from life's troubles. Lazarus and his sisters were not spared pain. They were not spared suffering. And yet Jesus himself said the whole event is going to bring God glory. And, 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 and unless we forget about this, in just a few weeks, the greatest glory of God will be experienced on the cross where God does not spare himself pain and suffering. In fact, in fact, the incident with Lazarus here, this, this, this miracle that Jesus is getting ready to perform, this, this miracle, this sign, um, when people hear about it, we're told, John tells us that when people hear about it, when they, when, they, when they see it, when they hear it, when word begins to, you know, and Israel ain't big, when, 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 the, when the rumors start, going, we're told that actually it is this event, this particular event that is like the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's like the driving thing that actually leads directly to Jesus' crucifixion. It's on the cross because the, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, everybody that's out to get Jesus, they're like, that's it. We got to do something. And Jesus still did what he's getting ready to do. He runs to it. It is dangerous. 
The assignment is going to result in his death. Not a good death, if there is such a thing. And, and, and I don't want to make, I'm, I'm not trying to make light of that, but this was a horrible death. And this event with Lazarus will actually lead directly to an unimaginable, torturous death. Go back to John. He, um, he actually jumps in here. I, I think the reason, I, and I don't know this to be fact, but John, numerous times during his account, will jump in with a parenthetical. He'll like jump in to kind of give us a little, um, like a narrator, you know, like you, you, you know, like Home Alone, you know, the character in Home Alone, uh, not Home Alone. Uh, oh shoot, Wonder Years. I was thinking of Wonder Years, the Home Alone cat. Uh, Wonder Years, you know, there's the. Am I old? I think I'm old. Point being made, John jumps in like a narrator. Okay. And he jumps in and he gives us a little piece of information. And here John chooses to jump in here because what Jesus is saying, because John knows what Jesus is going to do is so almost outside of the realm of human understanding. He jumps in to say, although John, Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, I know it doesn't look like it, but he loved them. I know, I know it doesn't make sense. It makes sense to us. Even though he loved him, he stayed where he was for two days. It's like, wait a second, Jesus, you just made a big old deal about being quick and working hard and working fast and urgent and priority and all that stuff. What are we doing? <laughs> Lazarus is dying. He's actually dead. He's gone. The disciples are probably like, shouldn't we hit the road? But apparently, Jesus saying, I know we're just going to stay here for a little while. We're going to stay here. Finally, in verse 7, finally, two days later, this is two days later, finally, Jesus says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, Judea is the southern part of Israel. Judea is where Jerusalem is located. Lazarus and his family lived in Bethany, which is kind of south um, east of Jerusalem, maybe a day or so, a day's walk. Let's go back to Judea. <laughs> now, I'll give you some context for this next verse. His disciples jump in, and they're like, because they are not excited about going back to Judea because they, they know what's waiting in Judea. Judea is not uh, friendly territory to Jesus. Galilee, a little friendlier. That's the northern part. Even Samaria in the middle, it's okay. They don't like Jesus in Judea. They don't like him down there. And his disciples are like, uh, Rabbi, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. We're going there again? We're going back? That seems a little dangerous. Jesus, hey, look, um, they tried to kill you last time. This cannot be on the to-do list. This cannot be on the top of the priority list. This cannot be what we're supposed to do urgently. This is the end of the story if we go back to Judea. But go back to Judea. Light and darkness, light and darkness, light and darkness. He goes back and he says this. Jesus replies, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. Okay. Now, look, Jesus is not trying to be um, accurate here in this statement. I, I, you know, it's not straight. It, look, tradition is you divide 24 hours into 12 and 12, 12 hours of daylight, 12 hours of dark. That's just the tradition. Jesus here, he's, he's getting ready to make what on the surface, just reading it on the surface might seem like a very ob obvious and unrelated point. He says there are 12 hours in the day. And during the day, when it's daylight, people can walk, walk safely. Okay, I get that. That makes sense. That's the way the world works. You work in the daytime, you sleep at night. Bad things happen at night. You don't want to be out at night. That's when the, that's when the booger bears get you. 
right? Still to this day, I was in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee last week. It's a lot of fun. Had a good time. Woke up about 2 o'clock in the morning. Went out on the porch. Heard something growl. Walked back in. That's simple because scary things are in the dark. Jesus is saying, hey, people walk safely in the daylight. But what he's saying to them is, hey, the time's short. The time that we have to get the things done that we need to get done, it is not forever. It is not unlimited. It's not all the time even. It's not forever. During the limited time that we can get things done, during the day when people can walk safely, they can see because they have the light of this world. They can work because they can see. Now, don't miss this. This is... This is Jesus hinting at what he's just taught them. This is the context. He's coming off of this, this light and darkness, and when I'm here and I'm the light, and when I'm gone, it's going to be dark and all of that. I mean, Jesus hinting back at that, pointing back to that teaching that he's just finished up. He's saying, hey, guys, the time is short. I'm not going to be here like this forever. I'm not going to be here with you like I am now. So it is urgent that we do some of this stuff while there's still light and while I'm still here. Think about that. I mean, I, honestly, I think there's some assurance in that statement. And here, here's, here's why I say that. Because Jesus here is stating, hey, guys, I'm not going to die until it's time. Don't worry about it. When it's time, I'm gone. But as long as I've still got time left, let's use it. As long as I've still got time left, let's use it right. Because as we've kind of unpacked, I, I feel like throughout this series, over and over again in the series, to be with Jesus is to be in the light. So while we're in the light, let's just, let's get it right. Then Jesus gives the opposite of light. He says, but at night, you know, when the booger bears are out there at night, during the dark hours, there's danger. There's danger of stumbling because they have no light. Running out of time to get these concepts of uh, out to his followers. He says, listen, fellas, you got to make the most of my presence, the light of the world, while you can. Because when I am gone, there's no possibility of you walking without stumbling. And again, Blanton, so many, much to be said here, but we, we don't have time. So then as we move on, we find out that Lazarus, he says, Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to go wake him up. The disciples... Sometimes I wonder about their intelligence. They say, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll soon get better because that's what happens when you're sick, right? When you're sick, what do you do? You sleep. Well, you, you get chicken noodle soup, you seven up. I like seven up better, personally. Uh, you may be a Sprite person. You, you get chicken noodle soup, you get some seven up, then you work to the popsicle, finish up with a baked potato, next thing you know, everything's okay. They understand. You sleep, you get better. And that's what they think. And then Jesus realizes these guys are idiots. So he told them plainly. I like that. John's like, he told us plainly. He just like laid it out there for us. He says, Lazarus is dead. He's dead. <sighs> okay. And, and, and now the point. <laughs> Then he says this, Jesus says in verse 15, he says this. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is hard. This is hard. This, this doesn't make sense. This is tough. He says this. He says, Lazarus is dead. I'm just going to read it directly from my notes. Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad. 
I'm glad I wasn't there. Because he knew if I was there, I would have been fine. It's all been working toward a plan and a purpose. I'm glad I wasn't there for now. You will really believe. Come on, let's go get him. Let's go see him. That's, that's heavy right there. Guys, Lazarus is dead. But for your sake, John, for your sake, Matthew, for your sake, Andrew, for your sake, Thomas, for yourself, but she was there, your sake. Mary, she wasn't one of the 12, but she was there. Mary, for your sake. I'm glad I wasn't there. Because now you're going to really believe. You're getting ready to see something that will remove all doubt. You guys, you believe some things about me. You've seen some amazing things, and you, you're convinced. But there's more coming. You're still growing in your journey. Progressive. There's a lot more to come. This is, this is growing and this is increasing to the point that you are going to be able to really believe in, rely on, cling to, entrust your life to the light of the world, Jesus. God, I'm getting ready to remove all doubt. So yeah, yeah. As much as this statement doesn't make any sense, he said, yeah, I'm glad it happened. I'm glad it happened. I'm glad Lazarus died. Because you guys are getting ready to see something that will remove all doubt. You guys are getting ready to witness something with your own eyes and with your own ears that you will then be able to use your mouths and your pens to tell the world what you saw. You will be able to take what you are getting ready to see, and, and of course, his resurrection being at the center of this. We're not there yet. You will be able to take what you have seen for the last three years. You are going to get to bring this good news, this gospel, that is going to be great joy for all people. You're going to get to see it. You're going to get to tell the world about it. So let's go see Lazarus. Jesus was running out of time. He was running out of time. And he knew it. But the disciples don't. So Jesus is working with a sense of urgency here. Now look. I have absolutely no clue how much time I have left. I have no clue. I, I don't know. And neither do you. We just don't know. But here's what I do know. I have less today than I had yesterday. So with all that being said, what is it that we can take home from this today? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for you? What can we take home from Jesus telling his followers 2,000 years ago, months, maybe weeks before his own death, saying, guys, even if it's dangerous, it's okay. Let's run toward the danger. Because I'm here. The light is here. The light is still shining. 
Is it on the assigned list of things to do? It, 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 has it been assigned to you? Then danger is not the gauge. It doesn't matter if it's dangerous or not. What matters is, did God give you the assignment? And if he did, don't worry about it because the light is with you and always will be. So let's go. And let's go with some urgency. Let's work quick. We don't know how much time we got. Because wherever Jesus is, he is still the light. And the darkness will never extinguish it. Now, darkness is 100% without a doubt heading the disciples' way. No question about it. They have no clue what is coming. They have no clue what's getting ready to happen in a few weeks. They are getting ready to be absolutely overwhelmed by darkness. What the, in spite of everything that they've seen, in spite of the fact that they literally see this man raise Lazarus from the dead weeks earlier, when Jesus is crucified, they scatter. One disciple, as far as we know, one disciple is at the crucifixion. One. John. And then he goes to. They run and hide. They are devastated by darkness in spite of everything that they've seen. And even though Jesus continually tells them, it's coming, get ready, they never saw it coming. They never saw it. And today, to bring that to 2023, today, yeah, darkness is everywhere. There's no question about it. Darkness is everywhere. Man, you, that is not a surprise to anyone. That is not a revelation to anyone. You see it, you hear it, you feel it. You know it's out there. Of course you do. Don't miss this. The darkness will never overcome the light of the world. It didn't then. It won't today. And it will at no point in the future. So with that being said, with that kind of, I hope is something with us today, Stuttgart Harvest Church, watching online, those who are not here with us today, we have our assignment. We have been given an assignment and our assignment comes from God himself. And our assignment is urgent because we don't know how much time we have. <laughs> And that's what we're going to talk about next week. That's what we're going to talk about. But for this week, to get ready for next week, because next week really is the, we don't typically have like this big climactic moment in a series. That's very, we don't typically do that. But this series is going to be kind of have the climactic moment to it. We're going to have a big, big climax. I'm looking forward to it. But to get ready for that big climactic moment to finish out this five-week July series, take these as next steps. Write them down, take a picture internally, whatever you need to do. Serve God. Stuttgart Harvest Church, this is, I'm talking to Christ followers right now. If you're not a follower of Jesus, hey, listen, you get to just see what it's supposed to look like. Not necessarily what it is, look, what it does look like, what it's supposed to look like. Stuttgart Harvest Church, Christ followers, hey, serve God with a sense of urgency and make it the highest priority. This week, make it a higher priority than everything else including your, your kids and your grandkids, if, if, if the two are against, you know, in, in opposition. Make it the highest priority. Because he has specific things assigned to us. We have specific assignments. And without him, there's going to be overwhelming darkness. But wherever Jesus is, wherever Jesus is, he's still the light of the world. And I'm not going to go anywhere before it's time. And there's still some time left. Because here I am. Here you are. So there's still some time left. 
So let's use the time that we have left. Let's use it right. Let's use it right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, <clears throat> I do not understand all of this. I will be the first person. I, I can talk about it and I can understand it, but to really be able to, to just live it, that is a lot, lot more difficult because some of the things that we've talked about this morning is, is not easy and it's difficult and it's even hard to teach. Um, and so, God, I just ask that you would give us the wisdom uh, to, to, to do with what we've heard today, what you would have us do, and then the courage to do it, whatever that means, whatever our next step is. Everybody has a next step and it's different for everyone. But God, at the end of everything that we've talked about, just help us to remember, you are the light of the world. You have not gone anywhere. You're still there. You're still lighting the way. And for the time that we have available, it's, it's, it's still daylight. So just help us, God, as we move forward, to work with a sense of urgency and to, as best we can, Stuttgart Harvest Church, to get it right. And it's in your name that we ask these things. Amen.